Hey, hey, welcome back to Clearwater Jazz Holidays Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. This is Steve Weinberger. I'm the CEO of the Clearwater Jazz Holiday Foundation. And it's a great day because we have Jeremy Carter with us as a continuation of our conversation with series with saxophonist, composer, educator, Tucker Antel. Tucker, how you doing? Oh, pretty great. Pretty great. Thank Thanks for having me. Oh, man, it's 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 our pleasure, and we're so excited to have you with us. Um, everybody will notice that they're muted for the courtesy of the session, but if there are questions, please feel free to use the chat feature, and we'll get those questions to Jeremy and to Tucker as we get going here. And um, like I said, this is a continuation of our conversation with series as part of our Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. We'd like to thank Blue Water Wealth Management at Steward Partners, Duke Energy, and also our friends at Marine Max Clearwater for helping to produce the studio at clearwaterjazz.com and the Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions podcast available wherever you stream. After these sessions, the recorded segments get archived and they're getting a lot of attention online with band directors, students, really students of all ages. And it's been really inspiring to us at the foundation to be able to create this resource and build this treasure for people to take advantage of and have these amazing individuals like, like Tucker and Jeremy involved. So very grateful for that. Jeremy Carter has been for, at the forefront of, of these uh, conversation with series. I'm going to go ahead and pin Jeremy real quick. Uh, what's up, Jeremy? Hey. Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Yes, and you know, Jeremy's he's one of the most sought-after saxophonists in the Bay Area uh, and around, really. And um, he's got a big heart for education and outreach and is really special to a lot of Clearwater Jazz Holiday Foundation programs, including the History of Jazz Education Outreach Program in the schools, uh, the Young Lions Jazz Master Sessions traditional programming, where we bring uh, jazz high school ensembles to a wonderful event with a shared experience with a lot of local professional musicians and university educators. And also we go into schools and work with band directors um, on a lot of things from soloing to improvisation to band competition. And Jeremy, Jeremy's involved with a lot of that. And uh, more recently, um, Jeremy Carter rubber band has been very visible as part of a music series that we have leading up to the big festival. It's called the Wanderlust Music Series. Jeremy performed several times last year as part of it. He's got a he's got a date already on the books in September with the rubber band and is going to be back doing his thing. And I think he's also appearing as part of this cool Go Go Beach Jam thing we got going on in May out as part of the Wanderlust series. So anytime we're with Jeremy, we're having fun. And uh, Jeremy um, has also been part of the Young Lions virtual sessions in addition to the conversation with series with instructional series on beginner intermediate and advanced um, tenor sax and some other fun stuff so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to turn it over to Jeremy and to Tucker and uh, it's just so great to have you guys with us the stage is all yours hello hello everybody how's it going uh, good to you know. Thank everybody for uh, for tuning in. I see Lee out there, a few other familiar faces, and uh, yeah, Tucker, man, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jeremy. It's uh, it's good to see you. Yeah, good to see it's you as little, well, man. A little it's, while. It's been yeah. a little while. Yeah. 
you know, also thanks to the Clearwater Jazz Holiday and all the guys that uh, helped to, uh, you know, contribute to put this thing together. Because, uh, you know, like we were saying off camera a minute ago, uh, just kind of out of necessity, this is like one of the ways that we have to, you know, stay connected. And so uh, it really has become uh, an invaluable resource. So uh, what, the, what the Clearwater Jazz Holiday is, is doing to uh, keep kids and, and just, you know, musicians of all levels engaged in the music on a regular basis. Because, you know, during these times, it's easy to get, get distracted and get into other things. And, uh, you know, we're, we're really trying to do some good work and keeping everybody focused and, uh, you know, to maintain their, their level of musicianship. So, you know, thanks to everyone. And, uh, yeah, this session is, uh, is, is no different. Um, uh, when, uh, when we had the opportunity to do this, I started, you know, just brainstorming, thinking of some guys and, you, you know, you were certainly one of the first that came, came to mind. It's uh, a, a real pleasure to be able to sit down with you and pick your brain a little bit. Yeah, um, likewise, happy to happy to be here. And again, thanks. Yeah, man. Um, so you're a Florida guy. You went to school yes. down here. Yes, I did. And then uh, you went away to Boston and studied at NEC. Yep, I studied so, at NEC. So, so tell us a little bit about what you've been doing uh, since you got out of school, projects, things like that. Oh gosh, um, yeah, I'm one of these uh, these people that uh, that that. Uh, this happens in the Boston area, right, where there's a bunch of really great music schools up here. You know, you have Berkeley, New England Conservatory, and, and, and Tufts, and, and Boston Conservatory. And, um, and then, you know, you, you get done with your schooling, and then you might go off somewhere else, or you might go back to your hometown, or you might move to Europe or New York or wherever. But right. there's a certain amount of people like, like myself who just stayed because uh, right. just said, man, I just love Boston. I love, I love New England. I'm actually a, originally a New Englander, so I kind of felt like uh, it was good to be near my my family, and, and I just never uh, I just never uh, wanted to to leave because of because of the area, and Boston just has such a rich um, collection of, of of music and musicians, um, and so yeah, it's been really great because there's with that there's there's so many great musicians to play with. There's so many projects that are constantly going on in various styles. I think one of the the coolest parts about um, you know, just post school and just getting involved with 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 different musicians in the area is the 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 different the different projects from you know funk projects or jazz or Latin jazz or reggae. Um, oh my gosh! I mean, the list goes on uh, to all the different kinds of things that you can find yourself playing. Where you know maybe you said, oh, I'm really interested in uh, you know I don't know this kind of jazz or, or this kind of that or whatever, but. Um, I think for me, it's been really, really fulfilling to be able to, you know, have a hand in all sorts of different kinds of styles so that maybe on, on Monday you're playing big band jazz and then on Tuesday you're playing, you know, salsa and then on Friday night you're playing in a, in a like straight up like reggae, you know, fusion group and, um, and everything in between, you know, and I think that's, uh, that's been really, um, really great for, uh, I don't know, for my, my, my musical soul, if you will. Yeah, being able to be involved with all those different projects. Yeah, that was one of the things I was going to talk to you about, like when you did the the grime scene album and just different projects I see you out there doing. It's not just a, uh, I guess we all kind of as you know tenor sax players started off in kind of the the you know traditional jazz legacy, but like you just kind of you went everywhere. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I 
I don't turn I don't turn my nose up at any kind of music. I mean, there's always like I I, I even say this all the time in lessons. I'm talking to students. You can always learn something from from a, a piece of music, no matter what genre somebody decided to call it. And it's you know there's there's chords, maybe there's no chords, there's rhythms, there's different things. And I find that it's it's actually helped my playing to being involved in all these different things because if I didn't if I was never exposed to the claves of salsa or playing rumba. Um, you know, I think maybe my, you know, my conception about time when I'm playing swing would be, you know, a little different, right? Having sort of a broader outlook musically can really help inform other kinds of styles of music that you, that you might find yourself playing or, or vice versa, right? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I'm, uh, so during the, uh, during the COVID uh, pandemic that we've been experiencing, what, how have you been, uh, how have you been keeping yourself engaged? Well, you know, actually, um, it's it's been um, it's been challenging for sure, but uh, it's been fun to do uh, remote remote projects have been kind of the way right. uh, one of the ways where you know I've I've you know been on a couple and kind of organized a couple of different things where you know you've got your session on uh, Logic or whatever you use and you send out the track, email it, and then somebody records it in their place. I mean, this is where I sit to do all that stuff and somebody will say hey I need a I'm, I'm gonna do this tune it's original tune you know I'll send you the track and uh, and you know so there's still that kind of collaboration happening that way um, and uh, and of course one of the things that's been really great about you know technology such as zoom that we're using right now is that you know I've been able to continue to to teach and that's been one of the uh, uh, one of the main ways to really keep engaged and um, you know just working through whether it's transcriptions or exercises and talking through different pieces and discovering new material. I mean, that's, it's, it's one of the, the great things about, you know, being an educator is that you do learn from, you know, your students as well, because they'll say, Hey, I'm into this artist and I, I've never heard, I've never heard that recording before. Let's, let's dive in. Let's, let's explore this together. Um, so that's been a really, a, a really, really beneficial, you know, thing to, about this as well. So speaking of that, who who are you checking out now? Who are you listening oh, to? Oh gosh, <laughs> you know actually it's kind of funny. I and and this is sort of like the how it goes with, um, you know, as I as I was talking to uh, talking about being an educator, you know, your students are, are interested in this, and you kind of I, I like to cater to to say okay, you know, let's explore that. Let's I'm not going to force you know avant garde stuff down your throat if what you're really into is is uh, you know. Um, you know bebop or whatever and so i had this this sort of um i don't know if you call it like a, a run of of uh, of students that at that particular time were really into some some really uh you know old swing like the the original you know lester young johnny hodges coleman hawkins yeah um, these kinds of guys and and because of that you know it forced me to kind of go back and and sort of you know it's it's sort of like there's so many different places to to listen to music and so many different albums across the rich history of recordings that we have that you know you maybe you know forget about certain recordings that you hadn't heard in 10 years or something and so going back and listening to body and soul again and playing through that solo and 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 transcribing i transcribed a um a johnny hodges solo of of him doing a, a his all of me feature with duke ellington band right never I've never heard that recording before. You know, there's other, there's so many recordings. I mean, I'm not ashamed to say that I've heard every recording out there, but man, I was blown away. I, and I just sort of got into this sort of listening to the, uh, I don't know what to call it, like the OG just swing guys and, and some of their great ideas and the, 
the lyricism and the note choices. I found the note choices so interesting because it's it's like pre bebop, pre you know, train changes and and or ornette call it's it's, but the note choices are still just beautiful. They're like perfectly picked. You know, it's like every note had its purpose and. Um, and and also just the colors that they that that uh, a lot of these happen in a lot of these solos like the note choices and scale degrees that they're using are just to my ears in in the way that you know I don't know what you want to call it, like a, a typical um, you know modern jazz solo they just they were fresh to my ears and I was like man nobody uh, not nobody but I don't, I don't hear that color used that much anymore like that that scale you know that that motion that they just did on the bridge of that tune like I don't I don't hear that happening a lot you know because because of uh you know where what what's popular today or what i at least maybe because of what i've been checking out and so it's been really cool to uh to dive back into that stuff and sort of go go back to the original swing um, yeah i mean that's yeah. that's one thing i always appreciated about your playing um uh you know because from my end of the horn like it seems like you know just the overall sound concept you have this traditional thing down but then you're also, you know, blazing on all this, you know, harmonic stuff and and just really, you know, getting into what the, the hip cats are doing now. But then also, you know what I mean, so to speak, yeah, but then yeah. also rooted in the tradition. I remember, I don't know, uh, you and Alex were just, I don't know, yeah. probably your first or second year at NBC. And you guys came back and uh i, I remember I that to, i yeah i used to go down and hang out with buster cooper all the time oh yes i, I remember those sessions. Gig. i got done at like nine o'clock so i was down there like every friday and saturday night it was like a home so anyway uh alex before he went to school when he was in high school he was studying with me oh and, wow I yeah if i quite remembered that that's awesome yeah i mean uh, i just did a thing with sam dylan he you know because him and him and sam hang out and so, yeah, they were talking about that. But I remember, I, you know, he was studying with me and then he went away and came back. And I was like, you guys were on this Lee Conan stuff and all these contrafact tunes. I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> definitely right. went hard into that phase, I tell you. Yeah, man. Definitely. And, you know, that's that's kind of what it's about. I mean, that's the thing that when I when I think about going to music school and, you know, what I learned, I, I the thing that sticks with me is as being one of the best long-lasting I, uh, lessons is just being exposed to different music, you know, because there, there's music that I was uh, exposed to, you know, because you have to, because it's curriculum, you know, uh, or or maybe it's just because you know you're hanging out with with some friends and and what are we, what are you into and you know there could be people from all walks of life that you're now encountering that aren't just in your hometown, and you just get exposed to these different musics. I really don't know if I ever would have, um, you know discovered Lee Konitz and Warren Marsh and Lenny Tristano on my own. Maybe I would have met maybe years later, but, but that, you know, was in a class. It hit me like a ton of bricks and I just latched on. And, um, and so, and gained a lot, uh, gained a lot from that, you know, and, and there's, I almost view it as like, uh, you know, phases or something or, 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 or periods, you know, where you really dive into something and you, you get all sorts of knowledge and, and influence from it. And then you can go, and this is at least how I do it, where I'll, I'll really dive, dive into one thing really hard. Right. And, and on, I'll almost just n listen to nothing else but that for, for however long, maybe even like a couple of years, and just try to unearth every album, every solo that I can hear. And I'm just listening to it all the time and learning the tunes and learning the solos. 
And then, you know, maybe something else grabs my attention and it morphs into now I'm obsessed with this. And it's sort of that was a really influential uh, learning experience that I'm always going to have and take with me into my playing. But then, you know, I kind of maybe move on to something else. And this it's not hierarch hierarchical. It, it's it's not as if, oh, you're at this level, then you're going to check this out. It's right. it's all this sea of music that's around us. And you can kind of just go. I feel like, you know, I, I, I tell people and, and, and students and all the time, you know, follow what, what really excites you, you know, what, what, what is, when it hits your ears, if you get that, that, whoa, that's so awesome. I, I just, how do they do that? What is that? I want to learn more about that. Follow that instinct, follow that, that urge, because that's the stuff that's really going to sink into your brain the most. You know, I, some people tried to, another, another, the other side of that coin is, you know, I, I've, I took classes or talked to people about certain artists and I, I tried listening to it because they told me it was great, but I was just, I don't know, it just didn't grab me, you know, and right. I just didn't grab me at all. And actually, a perfect example is Joe Henderson. Like, people would say, hey, you got to check out Joe Henderson. You got to check out Joe Henderson. And at 18, 19, 20, I would listen to that. But I, no, I don't know. I just, I don't know. It's not grabbing me. I'm, I'm, I just want to listen to this Sonny solo again. And I really, this, this, man, what Lee Conance is playing on this contrafact, like, whoa, these no choices are crazy. And then out of nowhere, I don't, you know, you can't even describe how this happens, but. Years later, I must have been in my mid-20s, Joe Henderson just grabbed me, and I was obsessed. I mean, I'm telling you, I, I couldn't stop listening. to. I had it in the car. I had it in my headphones. I was transcribing tons of stuff, learning a bunch of Joe, uh, all the Joe albums, all the collaborations he did when he was with Horace or when he did stuff with Kenny Dorham. Um, and it, it's like I unearthed this this treasure that was there the whole time, but I just never n realized how much of a treasure it was. But maybe that's because I just wasn't ready for it, you know. Right. But it came back around, and that ended up being a, a huge influence on me, uh, especially during those those couple of years when I was just I was just deep into it, you know. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I did a thing with uh, did a master class with uh, with Chick Corea, or he was you know, teaching master class. And he was saying the same thing you were saying that, uh, you know, sometimes a lot of students, they go to university and they have their curriculum. You know, mm -hmm. you're supposed to check out Ahmad Jamal. You're supposed to check out Joe Henderson. You're supposed to check yeah. out Sonny Rollins. And to some degree, that's great. There are some things that all those artists offer that fundamentally you should tap into uh, to some degree. But exposed to, yeah. Exposed to, yes. But, you know, nobody can really tell you what initially drew you to music in the first place. Everybody right. reacts to certain things differently. It's, it's yeah. just like anything else in life. Food, colors, you know, your favorite drink, or, you know, whatever yep. it is. You know, there, there's there's preferences and proclivities. Uh, to certain things so yeah absolutely just definitely follow that that natural instinct yeah follow You're your that. heart follow your passion i i like to think of it as um you know one of the beautiful things about you know being able to be a musician or an artist is is that you are coming up with you know putting together a, a personal style a personal you know an individuality and when I think about, you know, people, you know, myself diving into the things that I'm interested in while, you know, maybe Alex or maybe someone else is diving into what, you know, diving into what they're into, I kind of look at it as we're all curating our own musical museums. You know, we're our own curators where what will be hanging on the walls, you know, of my, you know, the sonic walls of, of my museum um, will be different, you know, than if you go and you walk into somebody else's museum. And that's why we sound different. 
right. and that's a beautiful thing, you know. So I, I kind of view it like that, especially when I approach, you know, educating too. I really try to tap into what this, you know, students are really interested in, and say like, you know, if this is what do you, you know, what do you really like? Because if if you then, you know, <clears throat> basically have a diet of that, you know, and you are just taking that in, that's going to come out, and you're basically you're going to be able to play exactly the stuff that really excites you in the first place because that's it's exciting you for a reason right but at the same time like you're saying i would have never been exposed to certain music that ended up really grabbing me if i hadn't been going to to school or or you know interacting with people outside of myself and certain things um are, are part of sort of the you know history and important history and jazz canon of of you know musicians and albums and and it is, you know, important to be exposed to these to these things, whether you're ready for it or not. Just put it on the queue, maybe, or something. You know, for right. a prime right. example is like, you know, Ornette Coleman can be a kind of a divisive <laughs> thing for people, right? You right. know, it's like, what's going on? There's no chords, there's no changes. He's got this kind of bright, brash sound. I, I don't like it. You know, like, like that happens to a lot of students, and and I can yeah. remember having those feelings. And and but put it in the queue, you know. Be aware that that was a movement in jazz, and that influenced a lot of other musicians. And that's a thing that's part of the history. And you never know. One day you might put, you know, Conception on, or you might put it on um, Lonely Woman, and it might really grab you. And then you're off to the races. Exactly. Of of all the periods you had in terms of your your personal development uh, as a sax player, who's your guy? I mean, oh, poetry, don't make me don't make me do that. <laughs> <laughs> Top three, come on. Top yeah. three. Well, I I I have to say Michael Brecker because yeah. it's just that's the that's what that was the first grab. That was the thing that I was I was probably thirteen and somebody laid two blocks from the edge on me, and I heard Delta City Blues and I didn't even know that the tenor saxophone could do that. You know what are these overtones? How is he bending it like that? And then the, just the, the the force and the the technique and the sound. It was just. Yeah, and so that was like the rest of all of high school, and 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 forevermore, you know, I've I've it's always been a, a, such an influence on me, um, a, a very huge, you know, very very big, um, yeah. you know. Uh, anyway, me too. I, I, I mean, could, you oh, can't really yeah. tell it in my playing, but me too. Oh man, <laughs> I don't there's sound just anything like a I, I have a bit of a guilty conscience about it because because you know I I tend when I'm teaching I'll I'll you know someone will say hey you know. Uh, I want to do this thing with fourths, or do you have a good, you know, pattern to work on for this? And I find myself going, "Well, here's a Brecker one. Right. <laughs> like, I need more sources than that." But there's so many good ones because he's he's got so much uh, technique, and there's so much, um, you know, knowledge in it that that uh, it's just great for study and great for practice. And it was a really, really uh, important, you know, thing for me. And and, and another example of sort of the cycle of getting into stuff, you know, what I was paying attention to when I was listening to Brecker when I was 15 was not what I was paying attention to when I'm listening to Brecker at 25 or, or 30, you know? Right. And you kind of come back and it's almost like a, a cycle. And the same thing with Thorne, you know, I just mentioned that over the, you know, especially over this, this past summer, you know, yeah, I've, I've played Body and Soul by Coleman Hawkins before, you know, and dove into that. Uh, but doing it again this past summer where I'm getting back into that, there's certain things that I'm I'm just in awe of that I wasn't even noticing before, or right. or at least wasn't appreciating, or I it didn't whether I noticed it or not, or and I'm going wow what a what a really cool choice to do that wow the way he stretched the rhythm there maybe you know ten years ago when I did it I didn't really wasn't really thinking about what his rhythmic conception was I was more concentrated on how he's hitting the changes now I'm really appreciating 
how he stretched the rhythm and his dynamic range, you know, and things like that, that I was just, you know, not focused on, you know, so, so these things can come back too. but to get back to your, uh, question of top three, I mean, you know, it's kind of funny. You ever hear, uh, people say that I've seen this like posts on Facebook and stuff, whatever you were, whatever your favorite music was when you were 13 is going to be like your favorite music forever or something like it's something that like locks in whenever yeah. you're like at a certain age. I don't know. I hear that said, you know, just basically in like music listening or something. That's why, you know, you know, people end up uh, listening to that, this, that kind of music. And then the new generation comes up and then they, what they're listening to is kind of like, Oh, that's, that's weird. I, I want to listen to my, my oldies, you know, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that that's a different discussion, but I, I wonder sometimes when I think about what I keep getting the most gravitated to and my answers to these questions are the, th like the three guys I was checking out the most when I was 13 and 14. And so it was Brecker, Sonny mm -hmm. Rollins and Dexter Gordon. Those uh -huh. are like my three, like on the, on the top of the mountain kind of influences where I like, I would never, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be me if I hadn't, check them out and been so influenced by them. But at the same time, I wouldn't be me if I had never met Jerry Berganzi and studied with him and the immense amount that I learned and, and absorbed from his, his methods and just listening to him play every week, you know, because, you know, that's actually a, a really cool benefit of, of, uh, you know, being in a town where, you know, there's, there's places to play and there's a bunch of great musicians. I used to got, uh, uh, go here while I was studying and, and not as often now, but whenever I get the chance, go hear uh, Jerry Berganzi and George Garzon play every week. Like I was doing, Alex and I would walk in the snow if we had to from the bus stop. It, we would go see those guys play every week. And I, I think that was, uh, that was even probably, uh, that should have been worth like credits in school. Cause that was, <laughs> I got almost more out of that than most of the other classes. You know what I mean? Like just seeing right. it happen right in front of you, you know? And the things that I, you know, you, you'd pick up on and you start to emulate and then you go back to the practice room and uh, get the horn out and just sort of try to, try to kind of process what you just heard, you know, and doing that every week. Um, yeah, that was that was a really, really cool part uh, of being in school and being being able to be, you know, go see live music and, and, and hear some really, really great legendary players. Yeah, we uh, we have one of uh, one of your other Bostonians. Uh, coming in tomorrow, Mike Tucker. Oh yeah, I saw that thing that you guys uh, did together—the two, the two Tuckers. Yes, Tuckers, man. How did, how did that come together? Uh, you know, we we would both play in um in in, in certain certain circumstances. We'd run into each other, you know, in a big band gig or, or here and there, or maybe a, a different kind of gig. And we'd always have a great time. Maybe there'd be like this one tenor battle tune or something. And we just, we just have such a great time. Or I remember going to Wally's once, uh, this jazz club where he was playing and I sat in and that was the first time we ever played together. And it was just immediate where, you know, he'd throw something my way, I'd throw it right back. And we were just, we had, I don't know, maybe it's because we have a similar, uh, you know, um, not styles, but, but, um, uh, preferences and, and like what we what we like to listen to and, and what we what we learned and what we've transcribed and you know our our museums so to speak going back to that analogy yeah like we have sort of a similar background I guess and so we're kind of I don't know it felt like we were on the same wavelength and uh and so it was really fun to play with him and and, and get into these get into these back and forths and play tunes and so 
it just became a thing where, man, we need to do something. And we've been talking about it for years. And uh, I forget whether it was him or me or um, Ryan Parker, the pianist who, who runs the um, uh, sort of the, uh, the, the booking at the, uh, the press room in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, who was the first place we played and did this together. Um, uh, and we've done, we've done it twice now. Um, but also, I think it's also kind of funny. I mean, I, I'm half kidding, but it's also because we both have the name Tucker and it's kind of unusual. Know, and we Tucker. both and we both play tenor saxophone. It's actually kind of been confusing for people in the Boston area because, you know, people call him by his last name. They'll, they'll say, you know, they won't say Mike. They'll say, hey, Tucker. Right. So then people have to go like, which, which one? Which one? And I've, I've been called and I talked to him about this on the phone, too. Like he, this has happened to him, too, where someone will go, man, I heard you killed it the other night at the whatever. And I go, that wasn't me, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That wasn't me. Oh, must've been the other Tucker, you know? It's like, why, you know, it's, it's, it's not enough that we both have a name that's not that common, but we play the same instrument too. Right. Like, come on. So that was, that's kind of a funny thing that, um, you know, at least makes the marquee look pretty cool. But uh, man, that was, that was a ball. Those are some of the fondest memories of, of live performances that I have. And I'm, I'm glad that they were captured on um, video too. Yeah, they, uh, and they I'm hoping we get to do it again. To yeah, they, again. they were a ton of fun to watch. I mean, uh, you know, because you guys are both playing at a, a really, really high level, right? Your vocabulary is similar, but the personalities are just so, so different. So you, yeah. you guys both have really big ears, you know what I mean? So there were certain times, if you weren't looking at the screen, you wouldn't really know that there was trading happening. You know <laughs> what I mean? It was like that. Yeah, yeah. That was that seamless. Yeah, that's, I don't know. I mean, you know, I think about that, you know, going, talking about trading, uh, I think about two different approaches that you can go and one is the sort of pass it back and forth, hot potato compliment. And then the other one is the, um, the more be a foil to the other person and do that sort of like balance. Right. And, uh, I, th I, I noticed that different players have different ways of going about that. You can listen to records or you can hear players, you know, trading and it seems like they're not even listening to each other. Because right. they're not playing any stuff back, but there is sort of this: you have an idea, and now I have a complementary idea, but I'm not copying you. Right. And you know, I don't think in almost any kind of aspect of music there's a right and a wrong way to to think about these things. But I I, I tend to enjoy the, the 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 hot potato thing a little bit, you know, more, and I tend to go that way, um, especially if we're sort of on a on that wavelength of of uh, sort of ideas and. You know, he play a really cool idea, and I'm like, yeah, that's a really cool idea. Let me let me take it and go the other direction with it. You know, and and then I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of exciting. I just tend to I tend to go in that direction, um, especially with him. You know, I mean, maybe there'll be other the other trading, um, uh, you know, places where I'll be trading with somebody, and I'll I'll take a different approach. And it's it's you know, you don't want to have the wrong vibe or like you just keep copying back the thing that they played. It's not like that, but. Right. But in certain circumstances, and especially with Mike, I, I definitely feel like, we're, you know, we really enjoy not copying, but, you know, he does like a certain motif and I'll take that motif and I'll twist it and then he'll twist it back and we'll keep kind of passing it back and forth. And right. that in and itself is, is kind of the, the fun part. It's like, how many, how many different ways can you play this thing? And let's, and it's like, think, think quick. It's almost like playing a game, you know, you got no, four. Seriously, yeah. it's, it's like a, it's, it's genuinely like a musical conversation. Just like, yeah, yeah. you know, speaking, you know, using words, you know, you don't say something to someone and their response is not, you know, a parroted idea, you know, like you guys are really conversing musically, which kind of brings me to my next thing. It's like more of a, a, a tech, technical inquiry. 
Mm-hmm. Um, the 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 idea of communication or the interaction that that occurs uh, on the bandstand to me is like the most important part of of what we're what we do. You know, it's one thing. Obviously, you got to sit at home. You got to do your work on your own and be prepared to to play the music. But once you get there to be free of those things to a degree that you can actually just be listening and just be um, uh, in the moment and just present with your fellow musicians. Um, for students that are out there that are maybe like trying to learn, because like I always, I always have this, uh, this like a tree, a uh, couple of concepts, like when I'm teaching, I'm, you know, I obviously address rhythm, harmony, melody, your sound, and dynamics, right? And yeah. you can put communication within that. But when I sit down with the horn, like I'm, I don't, I very, very rarely will I just sit down and say like, okay, I'm gonna just work on rhythm. So for for a student that's listening and they they want to get closer uh, to being a better communicator, what, what would you suggest? You're totally right about that. That's where that's where the magic happens. I mean, that's. Yeah. I, there was an interview that Joe Lovano did with uh, Wayne Shorter that's on YouTube. If, if for anybody who's listening hasn't seen that, that's a really, really cool one to check out. And one of the things, you know, what is jazz? And, and oops, somebody's unmuted. Uh, it was the, 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 the thing that I always remembered in quote is that Wayne Shorter says jazz is the unknown. You know, and that's part of it right there because you, you, you when you're by yourself, you can play whatever you're going to play. When you go play and add another person into it there's an unknown that what, what are they going to do and that's where the magic happens right. because now it's not just up to you where the song goes you know now it's now there's other people involved and there's a little there's a lot of sort of well we could go right we could go left we could go another direction and that's unfortunately one of the things that we're kind of being robbed of right now because of you know covid i mean i was talking about doing recordings but i think that's something that we all miss and have even a more of appreciation for uh, and and wish to come back is that sort of in the moment um hey now we're going with in this direction because we just had that as, as a sort of a joint decision instead of just oh i want to do this now i'm I'm going to play this lick right here and i'm going to do it in this way but no and now i have to collaborate and play with you so now maybe you know i'm going to go this way and that requires you know flexibility and listening of course and and i think you know what i would say to students uh, and what I do say to students about that is, you know, try your best to not just play with tunnel vision on, but be listening all around you as much as possible. You know, you see you see musicians uh, close their eyes a lot when they play. And, you know, there's there's, you know, it's sort of an automatic thing, I think, from just like listening really hard or or maybe just concentrating really hard. But one of the things I like to visualize is that. You close your eyes so you can try to hear, you know, for a sax player, the, the rhythm section behind you is, is, and just focus on all the sounds that are happening at once and just be completely immersed in it. And um, <clears throat> one of the one of the there's actually a couple of ways to uh, to work on that, too. One of the one of the things that I like to do, some things that I um, do for working on improvisation are, are sort of improv uh, primers. Or, or like games or something where you have a rule that's attached to what you have to do right now, which kind of focuses your creative attention or creative energies into a certain um, direction. And one of them is you are not allowed to play something until you hear someone else do it. 
You're not allowed to just be like, here I am, I'm playing this thing. But you have to just don't play a phrase until the drummer does something. Da da da. Okay, cool. Da da da. Da da da. Okay, I'm off. You know. Or the piano player goes do 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 da, and then you can go ba da do ba da or something, right? You you have you cannot you have to be reactive and you have to get your idea, your starting place, not to mimic. I mean, you know, that's that's one way to start practicing it, right? Is to see if see if you can kind of pick up on the idea and mimic it. But but the idea is that you are not the sole source of the ideas and the musical motifs, but you you get your ideas from other people. And I find that's a really fun way to play. Sometimes I feel like my so my solos over the course of a three hour gig or something, you know, maybe getting stale, kind of getting on, you know, one note maybe. I'll I'll switch over and I'll just go, you know what, I'm I'm just gonna completely rely on the rhythm section right now to feed me all the musical ideas. I'm not coming up with any more ideas. My ideas keep repeating themselves or something. You know, so to speak, you know, I, I go down this alley. I keep going down this alley when I get to a two five or something or I get on a minor chord, I'm going right down here. No, no, no. The decision making is not mine anymore. It's the groups and I'm going to be completely reactive to whatever is happening around me. And uh, like I said, you know, it could be a fill, it could be a snare drum hit, it could be the the pianist's chord, color, rhythm, it could be the bass player going up or down or doing a triplet or something. But if you force yourself to rely on that instead of just constantly being in your own head about, okay, a D minor seven, the seventh is a C natural, and then I gotta do this thing, and I have this really cool lick that I practiced in 12 keys, and now I'm gonna do it. Like you are totally like, like uh, blocking out everything else that's going around you when you get into that sort of, that sort of zone. So if you take yourself out of that and say, I'm not allowed to do that right now, I have to rely on everybody else. It, that's, that's a really good primer for that, I find. Um, right. And it can be can be really cool to you'll end up playing. And this is the beauty of it, right? This is why I say this is the magic happens. You'll end up playing stuff that you that you maybe have never played before, right. because that is you reacting to other people. If you're sitting alone, you know, in your in your practice room, or you're just in your own head, you're only going to play what you play. But if you are completely collaborative and flexible and listening and in the moment, you're going to play stuff that you would have never come up with on your own because you couldn't have, you, they took those other minds, it took those other musicians, those other ideas. And if you combine your ideas, that's when the music can just take off and go to another another level. Right, and it's it's kind of special, the, um, the amount of energy that gets, you know, produced throughout the band, you know what I mean? Like yeah. you reacting to what they're doing, and if they're paying attention, they heard the communication, right? Yep. yep. Now the door's open. Oh yeah, when the door <laughs> opens, gets more fun for everybody that's one of my that's one of the things that i find uh i try to to avoid is is making it you know to go the opposite way you know because we're all striving to get into that really uh collaborative energy is the opposite of that is everybody's just kind of checked out you know and they're just kind of thinking about their own thing or they're they're not really engaged or they're just sort of like checking their watch you know in, in their mind you know Right. And that's like that's like the worst, you know. That's that's it's it's such a missed opportunity for some real creative music and some real expressive stuff to happen. And so, you know, really having your ears open because, you know, what I found is that uh, if if you are playing selfishly, if you decide, you know, what this is all about me right now, um, you know, you're gonna you know the other players around you, they're, they're probably gonna start noticing that you're not really playing with them. And they're right. just there. They're just there to be a, a Jamie Abrisall track, you know, and and to check out. And now all of a sudden, 
it is a Jamie Abrams Hall track because everybody's checked out. Whereas if you don't, if you play unselfishly and you and you say yes, I am, I'm 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 willing to go with you on this idea. It's almost like, um, you know, an analogy for that is uh, like stand up improv. You know, like uh, whose line is it anyway kind of thing. Right. Like I've I think I don't know where where I saw this or I think it was like in a funny show or something. But one of the rules of improv is that you can never say no or undo something right you have to you have to go with whatever subject or material or thing has happened so if someone in like you know a verbal improv says oh my gosh there's a plane flying overhead there is a plane flying overhead it is that is now in the story you can't That's just undo it yeah. and and musically it's the same thing if so what if you really wanted there to be like a crescendo into the bridge if the drummer starts to roll down that's happening. That is what is happening right now. And you could fight it, but then the music's, you know, now, now there's a, there's a disagreement where, or if you had your ears open and you heard that happen and you have a spirit of collaboration and cooperation, you roll down with it. Now you're playing piano, uh, you know, mezzo piano. Now you're playing soft. And then the, the whole band went another direction in a very, you know, cooperative way. And that's, you know, I've, I've been on the, um, the you know the 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 giving and the receiving end of that and it is definitely not fun if 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 things are not aligning you know i've you know and maybe in my younger years i i will admit to who, trying to fight it because i i didn't want to i didn't want to go that way and right. man it felt terrible it never works out where you know if if you if you know the musicians are kind of going this way and you're like no 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 i want to go this way uh music's going to suffer and it's not going to be it's not going to be cool so just being completely completely open and cooperative um you know to to what's going on around you uh i think and and not selfish about it i think that's that's when some real some real magic and and everyone gets everyone has a better time if everyone's have a better time music's better um so those i have some memories just popping into my mind about these kinds of things happening where like after the tune everybody's almost just laughing you know because it's like man where did what just happened? Like, where are we, where do we just go? Like that was so unexpected for all of us and it worked so well. It felt great. You know, it's that, it, that's that, that's the thing that we all aspire to having to be in the moment, uh, in, uh, in playing music. I don't know if you guys uh, have seen that new, uh, is it a Pixar movie? The uh, soul. That oh, yeah, came out. It's yeah. about jazz. I, I haven't seen it yet, but I know what you're talking about. There's yeah. a, they did a pretty good job of describing the, being in the zone. There's something about in the movie where they called being in the zone and the, and the main character is a jazz pianist and they illustrate it, but he gets into the zone and all of a sudden these things are swirling around and they kind of illustrate him going to another place or another plane or something. And, and yeah, that's, that's being in the zone when you are immersed in the music so much that it is not about you. It's not about that person. It's about the collective ensemble and the music alone and and it's gonna it's gonna take a mind of its own because it's a com- combination of the minds not just you by yourself anymore right i always i always think about that concept as like be i call it being in the matrix <laughs> yeah. you know that scene where he's like dodging the bullets and everything i always think about that scene like when you're you know because you're like sometimes if the tune is cooking and the chord changes are flying and you know some of them you like you let go by you know oh I mean? yeah you, you don't have to play on everyone oh no you know? no Definitely not. Definitely, yeah. definitely not. So yeah. I mean, that's yeah. When when you're when things are feeling good and right, it's not just you. When the whole ensemble is cooking, it's really good for 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 students to hear that because I think a lot of times that just because of the nature of the craft, we spend so much time working on the technical aspects by ourselves. 
by ourselves. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, we don't really practice communicating as mm. much as we do everything else. Yeah. And so the, the, the whole purpose of doing that individual study is to not be so concerned with it in the moment. Yeah, get your practicing done when you're by yourself and you have the privilege of stopping, thinking, doing it over and over and over again and working on it. Um, but like Charlie Parker said, you know, you practice, you learn the fundamentals, and then when you go play, you just forget all about, it, all about that stuff. That stuff is, is done. Now it's time to be in the moment and, and play. Right. Yeah, totally. I see, I, I see you rocking the uh, the Boston Sack Shop gear. Oh yeah, repping yeah. the Boston Sack Shop. Absolutely. So you Absolutely. You're, you're one of their guys now, yeah. Yep, I'm one of the artists there. And before the shutdown happened, I was uh, one of the uh, teachers that was teaching on site at the at the shop. Uh, and uh, yeah, I love Jack. Jack Finucane is a is a mad scientist genius. I mean, the guy is incredible. Um, everything he comes out with, um, you know, from the the reeds to the neck and you playing his mouthpiece no uh that just came out but i've i i did buy my mouthpiece there it's a uh it's a dukoff hollywood uh, bd hollywood yeah. been playing on for the last four or five years uh maybe longer i forget now um yeah he has, he has an amazing he has this room it's i mean my gosh every any any sax player who's listening who's ever going to be anywhere near boston you want to be in this room it's wall to wall saxophones of like all different kinds that that you want to get your hands on i mean there are some real gems in there and uh it's just really cool because it's like a double triple tiered saxophones on the wall wall to wall all the way around the room and i were talking every every era every model that you could think of and they're all uh they're all great and mouthpieces too so that's where i found that mouthpiece you know one of those things you go and try it in the shop you got to buy it on the spot and I've been playing on it ever since, um, but uh, but yeah, it's really really great to have that uh, to have to have him uh, here in in Boston and have that that resource because it's is that, is that a metal Dukov or rubber? Yeah, it's a uh, it's a metal one. So, so I know you were playing rubber for a long time. Yeah, that was the uh, so when I recorded uh, Grime Scene, that was one of the last things I did on a rubber piece. So what was that summer of? 2017 or something I want to say and uh and then shortly after that like that's that's that fall that's when I picked up uh this this Bobby Dukoff uh BD Hollywood so it's like one of the original ones from like the 40s Ooh. um with the Boston Zach shop yeah uh, tooth guard, uh, guard there yeah um uh, and yeah so I've been playing on this thing this thing ever since um and just yeah I love it I actually you know feel really <laughs> feel really fortunate that I, I haven't had that mouthpiece bug in quite a long time thanks yeah. to that thanks to that mouthpiece um, yeah so i hope nothing happens to it knock on wood yeah exactly that that's <laughs> always my concern man the, the stuff that i'm playing on now just i'm just really weird i'm not superstitious at all but like i'm all i'm, I'm of the mind that whatever i'm playing on god forbid something should happen to it i want to be able to get another one Oh, exactly. I've actually looked for some some backups to that. I mean, these are like one of a kind because they don't make them anymore. But there's been yeah. a lot of a lot of really great mouthpiece makers that come out with like, um, you know, replicas of it or a, a sort of homage to it. And and I've tried a few of them, and and they weren't close enough for me to justify, you know, keeping that, you know, in the drawer. Uh, but I'm I am kind of on the lookout because you never know and. Uh, you know, I, m I remember that was one of the things I, I heard a story was like uh, somebody's horn got stolen 
And he's like, man, you can keep the horn. Just give me my mouthpiece. <laughs> like, whoever took the horn, man, just, I won't, I won't say anything. Just, just drop the mouthpiece back off at my, in my, in my address, please. You know, you can pawn the horn. Cause it is the, you know, it's the yeah. lifelong search, but we could saxophone geek out uh, no, 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 for no. hours too. <laughs> so, so, I don't, you know what? Some guys, man, you know, they get like, I don't know. You, you you go online with the saxophone forms and things like that, man. Oh yeah. Everybody's got an opinion. Yeah. Uh, you can spend, I mean, we've all gone down the, the, the rabbit hole of hours of reading people's reviews, but right. the biggest, the biggest takeaway that I've learned over the years is that every single post that you're reading is someone's subjective opinion. You don't really know what they're into. You don't know, really know what they're hearing. Cause you could, this would actually be a kind of a fun experiment. I don't know. You could try this, but you could have, you know, somebody play, somebody play like a, a recording or something or, or play on a mouthpiece, but maybe just play a recording and have 10 people like describe what they heard and what they thought about it. And you'd have like 10 different descriptions. So right. what's the baseline? What's the control about this? You know, so you, you know, do you guys think this sounds bright or you think this sounds dark? Well, what is the bright to you? You know, we have to keep using visual descriptors to be able to talk about tone and it's a limited right. thing language to be able to describe what we're hearing. And, uh, and it's a sub very subjective thing. So, um, Absolutely. yeah, you can get led astray online, you know, in more ways yeah, than I one. Mean, it's, it, to me, it's, it's amusing, but I mean, I don't really mess around. I have a lot of gear, but I don't really swap out, you know, I, I just, I'll pick a mouthpiece, I get a leg and I'm playing on the same reeds that I've been playing on for a while now. Actually, I just, uh, where are these things at? I've been playing on Regatti Golds for a long time. And then oh, nice. Day, yeah, I got, I got a guy that it's been ordering me straight from the factory in, in uh in paris and so whenever he gets them it's like hey jeremy you want a couple more boxes i'm like yeah <laughs> have you gotten a chance to another another plug have you gotten a chance to try the boston sack shop reads yes oh man Dude, yes they are Actually, yeah. if you like regattis i was gonna say like those yeah they're, they're regatti cane too right yeah i think so and uh you know it's funny because you know i'm wearing the hat and i got the the reads I honestly would not, you know, like I'm not being paid or something. Like I honestly wouldn't play. I'm not going to mess with my sound to, to right. like for like some kind of endorsement something or whatever. Like I honestly only play on them because I like them more than Rico Jazz or Lavaz or Van Doren's or the other, the other close seconds. Yeah. Rigatti's. I mean, I've tried it all, you know, as yeah. we all do, you get curious and it's, it's honestly what I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be dishonest and, and, and like have a box here ready to show if I wasn't actually what's on the, the mouthpiece right now, playing, yeah. you know? It, so it's a very, you know, it's a very, you know, it's your own, your own sound is a, it's a personal thing. You don't mess around with that for any other reason than you, you feel the most comfortable and you feel like it's going to give you the best chance to succeed. So it's uh, yeah. it's funny that you mentioned that because uh, like, a, you know, like, you know, you go on the forums, most traditionalists, most sax players, they say you got to have a Mark Six. You, mm -hmm. on the other hand, are not one of those people. <laughs> I fell into that trap, though. You better believe I, I found a deal on a Mark Six and I scooped it up because you're supposed to. Yeah. Know? And they're great horns. Yeah. But they're also not created equal, right? I played on some Mark Sixes that were like, they were kind of okay, you know? Yeah. I've, I, I currently play on a, on a Con 10M that I, I've been playing on for years now. And uh, yeah. I played on other cons that. I wouldn't want to go, I wouldn't want to play on a gig. I wouldn't want to have to play a gig on them. Let's put it that way. I would rather play a Yamaha than that con that I, you know, this one over here, but this one over here, that's kind of a thing, you know, they're all different, especially the older they get, you know, you don't know what they've been through. 
Right. So ordering them on, you know, ordering from like a place where they're going to ship it to you or something, and you can't really, unless you can send it back or something. But even then, it could get damaged. But you got to try it. You got to get to know it, and you got to, you know, have the stuff in your hands. You got to, you know, blow through it, feel what the resistance is like. What does it sound like to your ears? What's the hand position feel like for you? To me, that's what I was going to say. Like you playing the content M, that's a commitment to sound. I mean, to me. Oh yeah. Like, when I when I play them. <laughs> Oh man, I feel like I can't. I like I don't even know how to play the sax. I'm glad you brought that up because um, it's exactly what happened to me. It was a commitment to sound. I went. I was just out of curiosity, you know. I, I went and tried a content M. I played one low D, and that was it. I was like, oh my gosh, you got to be kidding me! I didn't know a low D could be that big, you know. And I didn't even have to change my read, you know, or my mouthpiece or whatever. And it was like the whole. Oh. I was done for. I was like, let me, I'll be right back. I got out of the bank, you know, but it was awkward. It felt really, really awkward, you know, and that's that pinky same spatula. thing. Oh yeah. You know, so, you know, the pinky spatula is in, uh, the, going the different direction. You know, some of the other things that people don't think about, because actually the pinky spatula uh, thing is actually not that big of a deal. The front F key, you know, to use to, to this guy up here, that's actually quite a ways away. Yeah. Like if you could see that, like normally they have that little teardrop where you just sort of roll up on it. It's way up here. So if you want to play like a front F, the spread is actually pretty big, you know. Yeah. So there's some things and it felt awkward. But honestly, I was just committed to the sound and just decided to tough it out. And I was amazed. I mean, I, I played I played some sessions. I played some gigs on it and I could tell that it was slowing me down. I could tell. Like I would go for something and it like, whoa, it didn't quite work out. You know, I'm getting, it feels so awkward. I was distracted by it, right? I, I was like sitting here trying to think of just being immersed in the music and think of the changes and think of the, what's the bass player doing? Where are we going? But I, it felt like a foreign object in my hands that was distracting me. Yeah. And so that's what I think people go off of whenever they first try different horns. But I was amazed to find that after about two weeks, between two weeks and a month, I forgot all about that and it just feels completely natural completely natural it feels more natural to me than any other horn so much so that when i went and picked up my mark six the mark six felt weird wow so it really is just like you know kind of what you're used to uh you know if you if you're used to driving a certain way then somebody changes the drive you know the seat settings in your in your car you kind of know it until until you sit in it longer and then you kind of forget about it right. it's really like it, it was amazing because I, I always thought of the Mark VI as just being, oh, this is just inherently better ergonomics. And maybe, who's to say whether that could be objective, but um, the fact that going back to the Mark VI, that was slowing me down because it felt really weird. Like the, the, palm, you know, the palm keys were really close together. The keys were like in a certain... It was, it was eye-opening that that was the case. And, and, I, and so it really is just, that's what I always tell people if... If you love the sound of a horn, give just give it a chance. You know, don't just go. Uh, you know, for this hour session that I'm having in the shop, it just feels awkward. You know, w see what you say after a month uh, with it, because you might realize that it's it's all that's all in the past. And I would uh, I would I feel like I'm I'm you know it's the most comfortable horn uh, in the world now to me. I'll also say that even though it looks weird that you end up pushing these down instead of pulling them back. Yeah. And I was worried about that the most. That that was the quickest transition. Like my pinky yeah. totally my pinky totally forgot all about that as soon as that you know, I started getting used to this thing. And actually, I really dig 
that the cons are getting really technical sacks here but most most uh selmers have the b flat key this key down here is just right. down here con wraps it around and goes over here so it's over here a lot of people would say well that's kind of weird like it's supposed to be one two three and then down but this is one two three over or down and i actually love that i find that it's way quicker for me to get to that b flat by just rolling over rolling over here then dropping down and hitting that b flat so it's you just kind of get used to it and actually another cool thing the reason it's shaped like that is because the designers at con said put your put your pinky on the horn and try to draw a circle with your pinky and it makes that shape wow so they were kind of they were, they were thinking of some cool stuff back in the 30s yeah anyway you know, i had a uh, <laughs> i had a balance action summer like a 26000 oh wow yeah i mean those those have such gorgeous sounds to them some oh, of the best sounding horns but, but the day i bought it the guy that i bought it from he's like now nah, look I'm not going to be working on this thing, so don't take it out playing it everywhere. I'm like, well, what's the point? He's like, they're just notorious for for maintenance. Yeah, but, that's that can be another thing, right? Or or just having a horn that is it's like, uh, it's it's so expensive and so so mint that you're just afraid to even touch it. You know, right? That was another thing. I used to take it out and like, you know, if I'm doing a gig, I start sweating. I'm like, oh no, you know what I mean? I'm yeah, yeah. Sweat on it. But yeah, that yeah. was another thing with the uh, the left hand, like um, those one that horn was made in like what 1936. So the ergos, what they were doing was just not not the same as they as they are today. Like the focus and attention are economics. Yeah, uh, I mean so they made that, so many so many so many advances in so many uh, so many of the things that they do. Um, so that that space that. between the B and the bis, like there was a gap there, like just like your front F for. It just, yeah. I mean, I couldn't get used to it. I played it, I don't know. I was going back and forth for a few months and I couldn't really get into it. I, eventually I sold the horn, but I, I wish I would have kept it. There's, there's definitely like certain things you can get used to and certain things that you, I'm not saying that you're going to like get used to whatever. Like for me, I'm a, I'm a primarily B-flat bis player. Um, like, you know, to the point where if somebody took my side B-flat away, I actually wouldn't miss it. You know, I yeah. could still, I still wouldn't, it wouldn't really affect me. So if I play a horn, and this has happened, I've tried some, uh, you know, before the con, this town M is from 1935, but prior to that, it was the, the new wonder. And that spacing between the B and the B flat bis is a lot bigger. I can't do that. Like that's, I need that B flat bis to be right there. I don't, yeah. I don't care if I'm going to like, maybe I'll get used to it, but that's just, that's like just a, I can't, I, I, you're not going to get used to the fact that it is like, really really far away uh yeah, yeah it's like almost impossible to yeah to span that gap but the thing was like right after i got rid of that horn i saw that oleg makes a little adjustment to cover that gap he makes a oh little... yeah there's all sorts of cool stuff you can do with with little uh, retrofits and stuff yeah uh, i noticed that yeah there's always there's always a way it seems like there's a although i it's funny uh I'm actually glad that I haven't done some of those things. I, I know that some people put all sorts of like key risers and things like that. And I just found that I didn't want to mess with it and just kind of get used to the horn as it, as it was. But yeah, there's definitely things you could do. People, some people move the thumb rest. Some people move the, the ring, uh, where the, where the neck strap attaches to. Some people get the key risers. Everybody's hands are different, you know? So get what you got to do. You, you were mentioning, um, you know, sweating on a horn. Um, 
I don't know if uh, if I if I could get permission to uh, share the screen, but I have a picture I wanted to show you regarding that I posted on Instagram a few years back. Sure. Um, there we go. So this is the content content M that I'm I'm playing on uh, right now. Left is when I bought it. Right is right now. Wow. <laughs> Talk about sweat and what it'll do to lacquer. As soon as you said that, I was like, oh, you, I got to show you this picture. Wow. I mean, imagine if, you know, you know, this was how, your... How long has that been? Four, five years. Wow. Yeah. You know, this is my, this is my player's horn. I mean, that's, I, I just play on it. I don't care if I sweat on it. I play outside yeah. sometimes, you know, I got to play on a gig that's maybe near the water. Um, what are you going to do? Like cry over your, you know, so... That's just me, though. I mean, I, I, but man, I wouldn't be so, I wouldn't be shrugging it off if this was some kind of mint $10,000, you know, mint like balanced action kind of thing. But, you know, this was the horn that I want to, I want to have as my axe, you know, my, this is, this is my, uh, and I kind of, I kind of dig the horn look anyways, but I just, uh, I I remember going scrolling through some pictures, you know, one day and, and saw a picture that I had taken of it when that's the day I was trying it out. And I went, oh my gosh, it's worn that much. You don't notice, you know, it over the days. But so then I did. I decided to find a rug that looks exactly like that and get that picture. Of them. But yeah, if you don't want it to happen, you better treat it with kid gloves, literally, and uh, wipe off all the sweat. And yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. I saw you. I saw you got the little G sharp trill on there too, on the right hand. Ah, uh, yes. Is so that that's possible? that's um, so that that key that that uh, Jeremy's talking about is right there. And that's what cons have on them. Even my, yeah. uh, I, have, I have a con alto on them, but uh-huh. I found it to be really, really pointless. And when you're playing an F, oh, wait a minute, you took it off. I took it off. Oh, I didn't even notice it. I was looking <laughs> at the left one. Wow. Yeah. So I found it to be completely pointless and it would get in my way a little bit. So I, I just took it off. It's in my drawer. Yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. I didn't even notice the one on the right. But like for my, um, for my, uh, my alto still has it. I don't find that it gets in my way too much. I think it's one of the things about it is it just, it's connected to more things. Yeah. It's connected on the, on the the tenor. It was a single key by itself. So I could take the key off. This key is in line with other keys. So if I took it off, it would mess everything up. So they were experimenting with all sorts of stuff, you know? I always thought that was really interesting. I had a couple of those old horns. Yeah. I was like, you know, I, and I would use it just because like, well, they have a key. Well, yeah, they have a key for it. Yeah. Why not? Why not? I guess I'll trill. I never found that my left pinky had trouble with trilling a G sharp, but now that you had mentioned it, why don't right. I just give this a shot? Yeah. So that's kind of a kind of a cool cool one. Um, but yeah, no, I love I love my horn and uh, but you know it's, as you grow. I mean, talking you know we're talking um, if students are listening, you know you, you you as you grow and you get into different styles of music, you know you you get into different sounds. You know what what my dream horn was when i was 16 and you know i bought my first like pro horn you know in my mind it was gonna be the last horn i'd ever buy i mean i was kidding myself because it was perfect for for me at the time but you know years later it just wasn't meeting the criteria that my ears were hearing and uh you know just being curious and trying other things then i uh arrived at you know through the journey at this horn. And I feel like this is the one that gives me everything that I want it to do. Yeah. Um, but there's, it's also not something that is going to fix if I'm getting into a little bit of like a teacher mode, uh, isn't going to fix, you know, whatever you're trying to work on 
um, unless it's because it's damaged or something. I mean, obviously being in good repair is, is, is good, but you know, I would still sound, I still sound like me on a Selmer. I still sound like me on a, any other horn. The details we talk about when we talk about like some of these, um, you know, the fullness of this or the darkness of this or all these kind of things. That's like the last little percent off of what you are bringing to the table from your air and from your embouchure right. and all that stuff. And, and so, you know, I could swap horns with somebody that has a $200 horn and it's not as if all of a sudden, oh, now you sound like me or you sound like whoever was playing that horn. It's like, no, you're going to sound like you. It's, it's a hollow cone tube made out of metal yeah. with holes in it. And uh, the sound's coming from you you know um just certain certain tubes have certain different characteristics is all you know yeah uh so yeah because you know i remember being a student and feeling like if only if only i had that then i would sound the way i want to sound you know right and i think there's you know that that can be uh you can stop people from just forgetting about all that and just work on your sound and practice you know just play play just play play play, play 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 yeah you know they, they always say play long tones Mm -hmm. I mean, which is kind of, I mean, whatever. I would just suggest playing ballads. You yep. gotta play long tones in the ballad. Yeah. I never, you know, I, 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 um, like I'm ashamed, not ashamed, you know, like, sorry, not sorry, kind of right. to say that I never really practiced long tones. I was more doing what you're talking about. I was applying, playing a, a, a long sound, but trying to shape it to sound like what I wanted it to sound like. Right. And I think, you know, that is what you're supposed to do with long tones. But as a student, when I'd hear someone say, oh, long tones, it just feels a lot more mindless because you're just like playing one note that doesn't have a musical sort of like intention to go somewhere or part of a melody or an expressive thing. Um, what you're supposed to be doing is playing the note and really concentrating on the sound and what you're doing to make that sound and relaxing your face and relaxing your shoulders and relaxing your airstream and your all that stuff and just working on everything without distracting yourself with fingerings and music. But, you know, I found that I was doing that by, you know, playing melodies, playing ballads like you were talking about, or just playing one lick over and over and over again and trying to make it, trying to adjust things so that it would sound the way I wanted it to sound. I wasn't right. playing one note to do that, but I was still working on sound. Um, so, so, so harmonic, harmonically, like when you, when you want to step out a little bit, like what, what would you... I know it's kind of a, it's a broad question. It would yeah. Be, uh, contextual. Say, say we're blowing over like. Uh, oh gosh. Uh, yeah. Um, okay, like a tune like uh, you mentioned, Joe Henderson, like Inner Urge. Oh yeah. So you have all these sharp eleven chords. Oh man! So like, how to get out? Yeah. Right. On a tune that is already kind of like. Yeah. Dense and nondescript, you know. In the way that it, that last little section, you know what I mean. That other than that, that yeah, that last little section is so it's so fast moving and it, and it's already harmonically complex enough. The, my approach is just to try to hit those changes in the most interesting way possible, or just completely ignore them and play some shapes and ornate culminate a little bit. Um, it's just, yeah, that's I'm not I'm not looking to play out there because those changes are so interesting. But there are in the beginning part of that tune, it's got those. Um, let's see, one, two, three, four chords that are four four measures long. So there's some opportunity yeah. there. I mean, gosh, and the the methods are endless. I mean, I mean, I could we could do a masterclass just on playing out because I've I've you know I was really drawn to that and and, and interested in like how it is that people were able to do that without 
having like how are you playing the wrong notes but they sound so right that kind of thing yeah. and there are so many different approaches to it what i've as i've discovered and maybe you know this this artist is tends to use employ this method you know george garzon's got his his method where with the triadic concept um you know you could be doing superimposed chords with your own chord progression you could kind of maybe like coltrane change it where you're actually uh you're saying this is what the chord is, but I'm going to take a detour and play over these chords, which I'm making up in my head, or I predetermined that I'm going to substitute, or you know, even just taking different kinds of scale structures, like you know, if if you're playing on the uh, you know the F major sharp 11 chord, you could say, okay, well I could combine that and make that like an F triad and a G triad, or maybe I'm going to move that around and maybe make it like an A triad and a C sharp triad and get that sort of major thirds kind of sound happening. Some of the notes are in the chord, some of them are outside of the chord, so I'm kind of flirting with both. Um, you could be doing lots of different like chromatic motions, um, sequences. Sequences can kind of tell, take you that way. That's I would almost call that maybe the, I'm simplifying it way too much, but to say that it's like the Brecker method. Yeah, like the Brecker method to just say, I'm gonna take a cell and I'm just gonna kind of move it around in certain ways, half steps, whole steps, minor thirds, major thirds. So you could do cell methods, you could go randomized, serialistic, sort of Garzone thing. You could be doing superimposed chords. You could take, um, you know, you know, basically like broken down hexatonic or pentatonic scales that, that kind of give you a certain uh, tonality that's gonna work. Uh, there's, there's, there's a bunch, of, there's so many different ways. And um, honestly, it's fun to, to, to kind of explore all of them. I, um, I would say that having a couple of different things that you have in your in your bag of tools that you can go to makes it so that when you get to chorus four that that f major comes back and you don't play the same exact thing you did the last time i think that's right. that's one of the important things that maybe the first time i'm playing straight up f major seven and i'm going up and down the arpeggio i'm playing some beboppity lines maybe the next time i get there though i'm going to be doing some kind of triadic arpeggiation where I'm kind of taking it out and going down in whole steps or but of course it's not that predetermined too I'll just kind of land on a note and just kind of takes you there and of course depends on maybe what the rest of the band is doing maybe I right. had it maybe you maybe you get an idea then the drummer goes da, ka, 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 and then all of a sudden instead of going da, do, be, da, bo, do, be, da, bo, be, da, you go and then all of a sudden it's like uh -huh. well, that I didn't know that was gonna happen but it just yeah. happened so not to not to you know be unaware of the conversation we had earlier about that uh, that stuff yeah man. um oh gosh and i actually think that a better example of like because because inner urge is kind of loaded right it's 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 got yeah. a lot of stuff in there you know i i find that it's uh there's much more opportunities for that kind of thinking about playing out on like rhythm changes or blues yeah and, that would, maybe that would be like a better example like, like more I, yeah. I look at rhythm changes and blues as being a blank canvas. It's yeah. like if you're playing a B flat blues, you are just you're in B flat or B flat rhythm changes. I should say like if you're in rhythm changes in the A section, you're in B flat and you can go anywhere you want to go. It is so fun. And it's basically like, you know, there's an A bar phrase and there's an, you know, there's an arc that goes from point A to point B. But you could take whatever route you want to get there and i think that's that's kind of the the fun of it is that you know you and then you made it so you could do a left over here and go 
play some other changes that are going to get there eventually or maybe not and and but it's all about the phrasing that point and, and about just sort of committing to it and uh oh gosh there's so many different um for people that have never done it before or or don't even like really know like what the heck we're even talking about i think one of the one of the one of the best ways to start out with doing this stuff is like it's like the 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 trick that immediately makes this happen is just shift a half step away for a little bit and see how that see how that treats you and right. i think part of getting used to playing out is getting used to the sound of how how dissonant it really is it's it's out because it's so dissonant it's got so much more crunch than we're used to hearing and our ears are not accustomed to that as much another the great thing about music school i mean you study like schoenberg and all these you know really advanced classical music and and advanced jazz and you go check out you know cecil taylor and your ears kind of get more used to kind of grappling with these crazy sounds anyway um getting used to the sound you know the first time you play a, a c sharp over a c chord you, you know it's gonna be like whoa that's kind of that sounds bad right bad right it's not really it's just really really dissonant and you can use that to your advantage you know there's the color wheel of all the notes that we have and they all have a certain sound and a certain dissonance and consonance uh in any context and some of them might be called like you know avoid tones but that's just because maybe we don't want that dissonance right now but maybe you do want that dissonance and maybe you can use it to your advantage and to to create the kind of contrast that you want for your piece and the reason that I mentioned a half step away is because it's one of the quickest ways to be playing all the wrong notes at once. Right. <laughs> wrong notes, hear, right? You can hear those intervals. Yeah. Like, I mean, the, the half step occurs at every chord tone. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's, you know, you go, you go a fourth or a fifth away, you're only changing one note in that scale. You go a couple away, you're only changing a couple notes. You go a half step away, you are changing all but one note of that scale. Yeah. And it's also kind of easy to conceptualize because you don't have to do like a big calculation about where you're going. If you're on C, if you know, if you know your chromatic scale, if you're on C, go up a half step C sharp. Okay, cool. And then you only have to come right back down and then you're, you're there again. And there's tons of examples of this in people that, um, it's not like a cheap trick or something. I don't know if, how I described it earlier, but it's an, it's an, it's a, it's a great crash course in, in starting to get used to the feeling and, and trying it out. I mean, we're talking, Sonny Rollins was doing this in te- in the battle that he did with John Coltrane on Tender Madness. Just a quick little shift up. You're playing in C, C sharp, C, right? Quick. Um, Michael Brecker's solo on Delta City Blues. He straight up started the solo in C sharp. His C sharp, this, it's, it's supposed to be C blues. He's playing uh-huh. a C sharp major scale. Exactly. And he kept, he shifts up up a half step so many times in that solo and you're thinking like where's all the what's happening he's half step off um for a lot of that it works so great to get that dissonance you know right away without even having to do a heck of a lot of uh, of other like sort of harmonic exploration about what else is possible or going through like the slaninsky book back here in the background or whatever there's so many different ways and it's all just about accessing different colors you know, you, every scale you, is a color. You dig into that big book quite a bit. You, a bit, you know. I I once I wouldn't say that I've, uh, you know, I, I I didn't cold train it, but it's definitely some really cool stuff. That now you that's get the, out of there. that's the repository, right? The 
the repository of uh, scales and melodic patterns. Is that the one? Yeah, the 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 thesaurus. Yeah. Oh. The, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing about it too is that it really is a thesaurus. That's one thing I've noticed. This is the um, Slonimsky book yeah. of thesaurus of of scales. I have and, the, mine. Mine has a slightly different cover. And um, you know, it really isn't a method book to go page you know page two now turn over and now practice page three it's like literally you opened up a thesaurus or a dictionary it has everything every possibility right and so i like flipping through it to look at the possibilities and playing through some of them and when i get to one that catches my ear or feels like it's awkward for my my hands awkward for the fingers to pull off without like you know thinking about it extra hard i realize maybe this is an avenue that i can't go down because my technique is limiting me in that way and now I've now the book has helped me discover a weakness that I can then work on, but uh, mostly it's just sort of uh, you know like a dictionary. Look up some new words you want to use in a sentence. You know, right. we're we're all communicating. You know, licks are words and uh, phrases or sentences. And you know, if we want to be well spoken, you know, maybe uh, you learn learn a word a day or something. Well, you can go into the dictionary there, the thesaurus, and come up with some new some new words. Absolutely. Uh, Steve, I, I thought I, I thought I saw somebody chiming in. Do we have some questions from from somebody out there? Yeah. Um, well, I've got a question, and I see that Don also has a question for Tucker. Um, let me go first, uh, Tucker. I wanted to. I read from your a uh, little bit from your website about how meaningful it was to you to play with more seasoned players at a pretty young age, and yeah. we try to we try to we work really hard to facilitate those opportunities across our platform or various platforms for um, young musicians. How could you touch comment a little bit about? Um, how did those opportunities present themselves to you at a young age? Did you create opportunities for yourself? And what should students be looking to do in that regard in, as a recommendation from you? It is super important. I, I didn't even realize how important it was at the time. Um, I just wanted to play, you know, and I think that's, that's the key of, of what helped facilitate that in, in, in answering your question is, you know, just putting yourself out there you know, leaving the house, searching it out and being willing to play and, and take risks and just go out there and do it. Um, for me, it was just sort of, uh, you know, this natural progression that happened. Uh, you know, it, it's funny. I, I think it was uh, I was playing in like my church band and the the um, saxophone. One of the saxophone players uh, had his own big band. His name was Bob Zimmerman. And uh so then he said, hey, why don't you come play, you know, play in the big band? And I played in the big band. And then the drummer said, oh, we do this jam session at the American Legion on Sundays, you know, in, uh, in Bradenton. And then I went there and then I met all these other people. And then it really is part of of and this is important, whether you're whether you're young or you're, you know, in school or you're out of school is, you know, that that networking, that sort of one thing leads to another kind of opportunities. I would have never known about the jam session if I didn't decide, hey, I want to play my saxophone here, and then this guy's inviting me, I'm going to go to to do that. Uh, and just kind of just be just open to a, a, every possibility in those ways. And uh, it was it was super helpful in, in, in the subtle ways that I wasn't even 
thinking of. We're talking about all these technical things. We're talking about, you know, you know, maybe you can talk about, you know, half steps and whole steps and, and all these kinds of things. But the little things about, you know, how to how to how to be on a stage, you know, calling tunes, who, the order of soloists, where do you stand? How do you all these little interactions, all these little cues, all these sort of band etiquette sort of um, things, uh, repertoire, you know, they were calling tunes on me that I had never even heard of before. And I was forced to learn them real quick. Otherwise I was, I was in the swamp, you know, um, you know, musically I, I was lost. I had, to, I had to learn on my feet, learning by ear, being very attentive about what's going on and just, just, you know, learning you know on the job it's on the job experience kind of for for and i was lucky to be able to have be able to do that every week and and it was fun you know it was it was really cool to be able to get real live playing for other you know humans um experience at, at that age and so i think it was I, I still think that it was one of the most valuable things uh, as part of um, my musical journey and early education uh, whether i knew it at the time or not um, so i mean I, I think I wish everybody could and I, I encourage everybody to try to find something like that because if I was just confined to my bedroom practicing and that was the only and maybe maybe school jazz band if that was the only thing that I ever did gosh I would have not learned so many of these things that I that I sort of learned either explicitly or implicitly um, so it's super important I think it's part of the tradition too right a lot of these musicians that we you know read about in the history books you know they were someone took them under their wing or they, or they went to sessions or they would go down to the down to the clubs and they'd sneak in or you know all these stories that you see in the autobiographies and things about we, we used to go down and hear count basie band and we'd hear him and then you know one day that guy was sick or something or didn't show up so then i had to sit in and you know i was only so young and i was barely hanging on and i was scared and or like when miles joined uh, the band in st st louis you know he talks about how he was you know one of the other trumpet players was helping him along you know and and that so that's kind of a a tradition of, of almost like apprenticeship thing going on where you where you have somebody that that is modeling how to do it how it's done guiding you um whether it's an individual or the entire band or or you know a group of people um you know it's a team sport <laughs> yeah no so important and thank you for sharing that I, you know what about what would you say to some of the students that um, they're just so intimidated to make that first step? Um, is there some are there some general things they can be working on that you would suggest? Look, you you need to you need to at least be here before you do that. Um, how do you make? How do you? What what would you add to give them that bit of confidence to take the leap of putting themselves out there with with more established players well you know have some some fundamentals down i mean that's why you know all the band directors all your private teachers um always talk about the scales learn your scales learn your scales and everybody talks about you know sharps and flats and all these kinds of things those fundamentals are really really important and and it doesn't matter what part of the country you're in studying with whoever they're going to mention you know g major scales got an f sharp you got to know that c major scales it's not just because oh this is school and you know we have to we have to memorize this stuff it's it's a super super important fundamental to know these these tools and if you have those tools you'll be much better prepared to be able to enter situations that maybe 
you're not used to. So you know, having having a, a certain familiarity with as many of the of, of the scales uh, that that you can, and having a certain amount of tunes that you're starting to learn, having starting to build up a repertoire. I think that's another thing that maybe is. Um, it, I, I have found that it can lack in certain um, in certain uh, you know educational spheres of of really learning tunes, not just having sheet music put in front of you. You read it, and then you read the next one. Reading is super super important, but really important as well is what I'm trying to emphasize is memorizing tunes. If you you know if I didn't know at least take the A train and Satin Doll. I probably wouldn't even have been able to get up there and actually play, or I would have gone up there with a real book and I would have my nose in the book and not been able to really immerse in what was going around me and look up and see that like the trumpet player was signaling for me to, you know, hey, take a solo or like, you know, don't stand there. You're standing in front of the drummer. It's his solo. You're standing right in front of him. You know, like if I, if I was just staring at my, my book, I would be completely unaware of all that stuff. And it really started me with, because I wanted to keep participating in more and more of the, the jam. Oh, now I have to learn all of me. Oh, man, what is this tune? I do nothing until you hear from me. What's that? You know, all these tunes started coming up. And uh, the reason, the impetus to, to learn them was because of the session. But then I grew so much because I knew tunes. And so building your repertoire, getting back to your question, is a big one. You know, decide. Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna really try to memorize this tune. I'm gonna pl I'm gonna put it on YouTube. I'm gonna put it on Spotify. I'm gonna put it on the, with the record, and I'm gonna try to see if I can play along with this melody without looking at any music. Maybe you, you can always slow it down at first. You know, to get there, um, being able to play that melody, and uh, yeah, those those are some of the, the the beginning steps. And as far as being intimidated, you know, what I always like to say is. You know, it's it's like it's a non-contact sport. It's it's music. Like nothing bad is gonna happen. You know, you're not gonna get hurt. You know, there's nothing. I know it's intimidating. Like you don't want to embarrass yourself, but everybody learns and everybody starts at where they are. And maybe there's some jerks out there that might actually ridicule you or or you know be mean. But that's on them, and that 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 would show that they're pretty terrible people because I, I haven't seen that. Fortunately, where you know if somebody's on the they're in the early stages of their of their uh you know journey in music that's just where you are at that moment and we've 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 all been there you know there was a time when i didn't even know what a c minor chord was i i, I didn't even know what the symbols meant i was just trying to play notes that sounded good nobody nobody said uh you suck you know like you know it was sort of like that's where i was at the time and you know everybody was there at one point and and the worst thing that's going to happen is Actually, the worst thing that's going to happen is, is you don't learn anything uh, from it. That would be the worst thing. But you're definitely not going to, you know, you know, instantly combust or something or someone's going to throw something at you. We're not in those days where people are going to be throwing stuff at musicians or something. So, um, you know, just get out there and do it. Don't be don't be scared that because uh, it's, it's all part of the process, you know. Yeah, that's great feedback. Um, Don asks, how old you were like how old were you when you played at the Bradenton American Legion jam sessions oh yes oh man those times with Ruby Vincent um, gosh I'm trying to think this was around the time when I was talking about the, the Bob Zimmerman band in Sarasota so I must have been about 13 14 13 or 14 yeah 13 what do you remember? But what do you remember about your life at that age with music? 
oh gosh i was all i wanted to do i was just music 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 i had a i would i'd go play in the church band on sunday morning and then i'd go straight to the uh to the jam session from two to five in bradenton and then after that there was uh, a gig uh uh tom um what's his name I know it was Tom. I don't, I'm blanking on the last name. That's terrible. Uh, no, the keyboardist and and uh, Larry Trot played bass, um, and uh, they would anyway. They were playing at a place down down Route 40, 41 is the road. I'm remembering all these Florida stuff that I <laughs> thought about in down Route forty one, and I'd head over there because they had a seven to nine gig. So it was just like Sundays would come, and I'd be playing all day because hey. I would just seek it out. They would, you know, I'd say, well, what's going on where, you know? And fortunately, I was, you know. It's fortunate that that Sarasota and the in the and the and the West Coast and Bradenton and Clearwater that has all that so much music happening. It was it was really 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 cool. I, I didn't realize that that wasn't the norm. That that you know you could have live music every weekend in different places. I mean, it got to it gets to the point like especially like during the season, right? We have flip seasons, of course, as I've as I've come to know, you know, in in Florida where. Of course, the gigs all all pop up uh, this time of year, where up here it's freezing out and there's no gigs, and then uh, in the summer there's all sorts of concert series out here uh, up in up in New England, and you can play outdoors and there's stuff on the Cape and all this stuff. But and then it's not so much in Florida, so it's kind of a flip. I should almost just sort of go back and forth and just start my snowboarding early, yep. uh, to get to play year round. But anyway. Um, there was it got to the point especially in the winter when you would you'd have options it was like oh, i don't know where, which place i'm gonna go where, where am i gonna go tonight you know I, am i gonna go hang am i gonna go uh you know um play with these guys i'm gonna play with these guys you know i was taking some lessons with uh, perry childs and i would always try to figure out where he was playing you know and and, and he'd be playing somewhere in the in the square not in st Armand circle maybe there was a place there too but uh it's that main square area near the water, near Siesta, but it's like the main street, the main street of uh, of Sarasota. You're, you know, this is this is getting on like twelve years ago. <laughs> I haven't been. been but but it sometime. sounds like you were in it, man. You were in it at That's a young the age. Idea. That's the idea. You just gotta you just gotta go. You gotta go for it. And uh, you know, fortunately, my parents and my grandparents would drive me wherever I needed to be and and sit through uh sit through all these jazz concerts they were learning the jazz right along with me because it's you know education by exposure too right yeah no that's awesome well you know I'm going to turn it back over to Jeremy in a second for some from some close us out with some things I know he probably has a few we, we could sit here talking to you forever yeah, um, yeah likewise There's, but, you know, but uh, breeze, you know, yeah no music. we appreciate you going the extra mile with us and we and um spending spending this time with us and I think it's going to prove to be a really nice addition to our young lions virtual sessions online awesome um we uh I would encourage everybody uh part participating now or watching and, and listening uh, after the fact to uh, keep up with us at clearwaterjazz.com at the education and outreach section. When you land there, there's a, a schedule of upcoming sessions and we add to them every week. And we've got uh, had some already had some amazing ones this week, including today's session. Um, we've got Sean Martin joining us next week with a conversation with John O'Leary and Sean Martin, which we're really excited about on the third. And um, there's some really cool stuff being added in the near future with uh, Brandon Robertson down at Florida Gulf Coast University. 
in Fort Myers and um, and a bunch of other really, really dynamic personalities and players. So uh, please keep up with us. Um, we hope you're finding good value in them. And on behalf of the foundation, um, Tucker, uh, we really appreciate your time and comments today. And Jeremy, thanks for everything you mean to us and do for us. Um, it's just wonderful. So I'm going to turn it back over to you, Jeremy. Yeah. Yeah, just to close this out, man, thanks again, Tucker, uh, for everybody that's listening or that will tune in later. Definitely, uh, you know, it sucks for you to get a chance to play. Uh, but yeah. if you get a chance, definitely check out Tucker's music. Uh, the guy is just wildly imaginative and his tenor sound, which is, you know, he's a special talent. So if you haven't heard him, you haven't had the chance to check him out, definitely check him out. He's just a serious cat. Hey, thanks so much, Jeremy and, and everybody. Uh, really, uh, <clears throat> really a unique opportunity to, uh, to tune in and, and go back uh, to the Florida, Florida roots and, uh, and just uh yeah just a really really honored to be here and it's it's really great to hear that you know these kinds of things are happening for for students and um, and outreach it's uh really great well thanks tucker it means a lot and uh we hope to have you back with us and maybe some other maybe we go down some other paths together um we got to get you down here you uh yeah. we, we got we got live music going on and um we're getting okay. we've been able to to rally our community of support around some really um uh, new and innovative live music experiences. So uh, anytime you want to take the trip back to the back to your roots, you come find us. There you go. It sounds uh, good. All right, all right. On behalf of the Clearwater Jazz Holiday Foundation, uh, thank you everybody for participating today, watching and listening in the future. Stay safe out there. Keep being creative. Keep playing, and we'll see everyone back real soon. Take care. Thank you for listening to Clearwater Jazz Holidays, Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. Thank you to our friends at Marine Max Clearwater for helping to present this podcast series. To learn more about the Clearwater Jazz Holiday Annual Festival tradition, other special events throughout the year, and our year-round education and outreach, please visit clearwaterjazz.com.